We're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation. Science, logic, reason. Do you have any hard data? Now, that's what I call science. Hello, lovely listeners. You are listening to That's What I Call Science, the weekly radio show and podcast that brings you big ideas from the small island of Tasmania. This week, we're putting the E in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and maths. So, of course, I'm joined by my expert engineering co-host, Dr. Sarah Lydon. My name's Neve Chapman, your weekly co-host. And just a reminder that our show is proudly supported by Edge Radio, Hobart's premium youth station. Go to edgeradio.org.au for more information about the good things they're getting up to. I'd like to begin today's episode by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording, the Palawa people, as we record on Lutruwita, and acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on where you are listening. On behalf of everyone, I pay my respects to elders past and present. Now, just a little bit of housekeeping before we get started today, folks. We are in strange times, and what we have decided to do in the interest of science and based on all of the evidence available to us is to record outside. It's new and it's fun, um, but you may hear some background noises that wouldn't be typical for our show, but I hope you embrace it just as we have. So this episode has been released as part of World Engineering Day for Sustainable Development, coming up on the 4th of March, and that sounds like a fascinating topic, but Sarah, can you tell me a little bit more about it and also our guest? World Engineering Day for Sustainable Development is an official international Day, which was introduced in 2019 by the United Nations Education, Scientific and Cultural Organisation. And it was something that was originally proposed by the World Federation of Engineering Organisations. The idea is that we want to, with World Engineering Day for Sustainable Development, really promote the contribution of engineering towards a more sustainable world. Awesome. Sounds like all good things. So how does our expert guest today fit into this? So our expert guest today is the Young Tasmanian Professional Engineer of the Year, David Ewers, who's from Vex Civil Engineering. So David has um, a really strong background in sustainable engineering and is really passionate about it. So we thought he would be a great speaker to bring along for World Engineering Day for Sustainable development. So a little bit about David. He's worked on many different projects around Australia and international projects as well, looking at delivering sustainable community benefits, ranging from wind farms to defence spaces, motorsport facilities and water management and building bridges around the country. So David has a very diverse range yeah, of experiences. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie, <laughs> hearing all those things together, it started off and I was like, oh yeah, that sounds, you know, really well aligned to sustainable development engineering. And then I was like, wait, defence spaces, motorsport, what? So I'm really excited to hear more about this. Welcome David. Thank you Sarah and thank you to both of you for this opportunity to share more about what I've done and uh, how that fits into sustainable development. Great so David can you tell us a little bit about the type of engineering work that you do and what inspired you to become an engineer? I guess as as you've shared I deal with a lot of different engineering projects and I guess in Tasmania we're like a, a mini Australia so you get compacted into into a small area all the different variety of projects um, that you would see on the mainland. So from roads to bridges to um, wharf structures to rehabilitation of of structures, which is a lot of um, Tasmanian has a lot of bridges. So getting involved in that and wind farms, which I got involved in the Central Highlands. And I guess the future of Tasmania is uh, is looking great from that perspective because there's a there's a huge push for new technology and the green energy, so solar and wind farms and hydro. So why did I become an engineer? It's a great question. Look, I've always liked building things. I've always liked making things, um, structures 
houses and, and so forth. So I was one of those kids that liked playing with Lego and Meccano sets. And yeah, it was actually talking to my uncle, who was an engineer, and uh, he said, look, you could go and get a trade or you could study engineering. And at that particular time, he had a project that he was working on in the initial phase of the project, you could say, a large bridge project. And he said, look, when you finish university, there is a chance you could work on a project such as this, which is really cool. It's a 1.2 kilometre viaduct rail bridge in South Australia. So I went off and did university and got a degree, started working for a construction company on a few different projects in the tender space. So pricing projects and then my company happened to be a part of the winning tender for that particular project that he had said oh my god fate (laughs) that's mad (laughs) so yeah that that enabled me to to grab that opportunity to work on a project that I'd seen five and a half years before and that was the start of my career and I think that excited me to be a part of a project like that involved so many different aspects Uh, working over a pretty highly sensitive zone floodplain zone so being able to create a sustainably developed bridge connecting communities was a career path that I thought, yeah, this is really exciting. I, I want to do more of this. And yeah, I guess I've had really good opportunities to do that, be involved in some really cool projects around Australia and just see you know, how we have to be sustainable, but we have to develop and how you do both together is really important and it's a challenge because the the faster we grow and the faster technology grows, the harder that becomes. You got some really good points there. I was just wondering if you think that being in Tasmania has shaped that kind of commitment to sustainable engineering because, you know, the hydro is so, like hydro energy production is such a big feature here and it seems like in Tassie people are really minded on being like future focused but also on doing things that are best in terms of sustainability for our environment. Do you think that that shaped like your early focus or is that something that more came internal, be motivated from you? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think my family has always been one, you know, coming from a family of seven other brothers and sisters, eight in the family, big family. You don't get, you take it for granted that you don't get everything so the whole hand-me-down process was very much a part of our living you know my parents wouldn't have a lot so you know having a garden having your own produce was sort of a given then we got chickens so yeah next um but it's that kind of living that I was brought up with so seeing that in uh, companies that I've been involved in learning to work towards sustainability so you know, when we have waste products, as construction companies have a lot of waste, how can we reuse that? So the reuse of waste, when I was early in my career, companies that started to use old concrete, crush it down and reuse it as products within new concrete. You know, it saved about 70% of waste. Yeah, right. It's a massive development. So. Seems like a no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So as the focus of this episode is on sustainable engineering practices, could you provide our, our listeners with your kind of definition of what sustainable engineering actually is? Sustainable engineering, I guess it's an understanding that engineering is development of technology for the benefit of everyday users and we wouldn't be here without engineering the fact that we can record like we are now outdoors is due to engineering so how do you make it sustainable what sustainability is to do with the earth and understanding ecosystems on the earth and how they coexist together and there's so many different ones and when you throw in the changing climate And understanding that, it becomes a real balancing act. So how do we bring the two together? I think it's understanding the more we understand the environment we live in can drive how we build the engineering that we need. So, you know, how do you build a bridge that fits into the environment? 
where you try and understand the environment, you try and understand the different aspects of it, you know, what needs to be protected, what can we, what doesn't need to be protected, what's an introduced species. And so in some cases, the in as we're doing now, that can be a benefit to the environment, to the people, to our ecosystem. So what kind of measures do you use to determine whether or not a project is sustainable or aligned? Like there's lots of different ways, I'm sure, that given yeah. whatever the project is, but what are some of the measures of success for something being deemed, you know, yes, this is optimised in terms of sustainability for this engineering project? So similar to, well, within engineering, safety is a, a really big part of how we do our projects. As you can imagine, safety of, you know, the care about me is really important. But with that, environment has become part of that. So how do you protect the environment is a part of is a measure of sustainability. So you have a sustainability rating, which is based on how much land you're having to acquire, how much you're clearing, how much of that cleared land are you replacing with new plant species, and are they improving what the previous plant species were? You know, with waterways, um, am I... If I'm diverting a waterway, is that impacting on the environment or how can I help that process by protecting some of the species that are in that waterway to, to encourage their growth? So I've got a really good example, if, I, if you don't mind me sharing, of this. So one of the big projects, which I guess we'll talk about um, later, is, uh, was the Central Highlands Wind Farm. And just quickly, uh, one of the... I guess, challenges of that project was we were going to build a wind farm in an eagle habitat zone. And that was highly controversial, as you can imagine, because some people say, well, as soon as you introduce those wind farm towers, you're going to impact on those eagles probably permanently, especially seeing they're endangered. So what we were able to do was present an idea that came out of the US and had only been trialled a few times and develop a, a camera system that would speak to the turbines um, record the flight of all eagles that ever fly around those turbines and allow the turbines to shut down temporarily to avoid the eagle flight path. Now, it did two things. It adjusted the eagle flight path to avoid turbines due to turbulence, but it also provided some invaluable data in eagle flight patterns, eagle habitat zones, nesting habits, what type of eagles... And that data you couldn't have bought and probably wouldn't have had the funding if it hadn't been for the wind farm. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's like creating this really responsive approach to like, you know, meeting both needs, but then also, as you say, like getting really, really rich data about an endangered species. How awesome. Stick with us, listeners. And in just a moment, we'll be talking more to David about sustainability and engineering and all of the work that he's been doing in more detail. You're listening to That's What I Call Science, and today we're talking about sustainable engineering. My name is Sarah Lydon, and I'm joined by Neve Chapman, along with our expert guest, David Ewards. So, David, in this segment, we want to go into a bit more depth on some projects that you've worked on. So, just to kind of open it up for a project that you're really passionate about that you'd like to share with us, can you tell us a little bit about that and sort of the key engineering principles that are involved? Yeah, sure. Well, I guess... As I mentioned in the uh, previous part of the uh, of the interview, one of the project, well, the actual project that got me down to Tasmania, and I call that a key part of my my life because it looks like I'm going to be settled here for the for the uh, near future, which is great. Was the uh, wind farm, the Cattle Hill Wind Farm in the Central Highlands, and that attracted me 
not just from the experience I had in building wind farms, but also because wind energy is is cool. It's it's great. Yes, it's not the only answer and it never will be, but it is a fundamental answer to becoming ha- having sustainable energy. So I think when I saw the challenge, not just of the fact that it was bringing me down to Tasmania, but also because it was building in an environment which was pretty harsh. Predicted snow, ice, low temperatures um, and all the challenges with, with that. But also part of that was, okay, you've got these massive big wind farm structures, 100 metres high, with all these massive blades, how do you get them into a location that's so remote? So part of the project was how can we re- how can we utilise the roads that are currently there and widen them um, to get these massive structures up onto the wind farm, the the planes um, which we built the wind farm, and that was that's a whole project in itself to be able to do that. Um, so I think it it not only helped from a I guess the the local area. But it also helped us um, provide better access to the you know to those road networks for um, the timbers um, and other local businesses that uh, were utilising that area. Plus, you know, building a wind farm is always on land, and most of the time it's not land that's sort of protected because it's hard you know to build anything on protected land. You don't really want to. So usually it's on someone's you know a landowner's land. So. Working with the local landowners, Peter Downey was one of the landowners that we worked with, and to work with his land and to provide better access through his land was um, a really big part of the project because this wind farm could be a bit was a massive benefit to him, but we were able to utilise some of his road network that was already there rather than building new roads especially through some of the forest areas that he had protected, which were important for carbon footprint. But then you had some species on his uh, wind farm, uh, on his on his farmland, that we were able to identify and help the local ecologist to record how many plant species there were. So it was considered to be quite an endangered um, plant species. I can't remember the name. It might come to me as we talk. Um, but during the process of the project, we discovered that there was way more plants than we ever thought, which was great. So it showed that that area it was really thriving, um, which was a real benefit. Yeah, that's awesome. And it goes to show as well, like... I think often in science or STEM fields, but particularly in engineering, you start off with like, okay, we want to do this specific thing, like put a wind farm there. But it kind of stands to, well, how are we going to get all the materials we need there? How are we going to engage with the local community? What about the environmental impacts? So it's a really nice example of, would you say that like the complexity of the project really drew you to it as well as it being in Tassie? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, you've got that added bonus that you're working with people working with people with, um, you know, their livelihoods are reliant on how you work with them. You know, he's got a cattle farm that needs to work. So to work in with that is really important. And then, like you said, utilising some of the local businesses down here to be able to provide some of the materials um, helps to be more sustainable instead of going all overseas and having to pay for, you know, the shipping fees. That all extends or adds to, I guess, the development that we don't, count um so important is bringing local businesses as well yeah absolutely i think it's something sarah you always bring that mindset to your episodes with the engineers i don't know if it's just the way you pick them i guess but they all seem to be really minded on that like stakeholder engagement community engagement and like how important taking that big worldview of like all of the people involved are which is something like i wouldn't always think of is a key 
skill in engineering is those interpersonal skills and project uh, skills. I think there's probably a bit of a misconception that engineers, you know, just do mathsy, sciencey stuff that they don't actually interact with people. But yeah. a very significant part of engineering is interacting with stakeholders and clients and the community. So linking this project now to sustainable development, can you tell our listeners a little bit about how this project relates to this UN Sustainable Development Goals? Part of the Sustainable Development Goals is coming up with um, projects which enhance sustainable energy, um, sustainable living, and in this case, um, energy most of the time has come from unsustainable sources. So wind wind power, and one of the reasons that I love wind farms is is somewhat sustainable. It's not fully sustainable, sustainable but it, it is much more sustainable than some of the other power sources that we have been using in the past. Um, so for, for me, it it's really important that we continue down that line of utilising some of the energy that we have just naturally. Um, you know, solar power... We just have the light. Um, why not use it? Um, same with the Central Highlands. have always had strong winds blowing. Another wind farm on the West Coast utilises the fact that we have strong, unlimited wind, su- wind supply. And it's free <laughs> free in a way. Um, it's, it's just natural. And part of the sustainability goals is how can we use stuff that's natural? How can we use the natural world to support what we do in a, in a good way? Um, instead of um, abusing it, which has um, often been the engineering of the of the past, but utilising it and respecting it, um, which I believe that wind farms do really well. Awesome, that sounds great. And it's good to know that that like, thread is coming through so strongly of like an international goal from the UN, for example, translating all the way down to a project happening in Tasmania on the Central Highlands. It's really good to see that thread going Um, that far. So stick with us listeners where we'll be talking in part three about what all this means and um, a bit of a future focus. You're listening to That's What I Call Science and we're talking about sustainable development and engineering today. My name is Sarah Lydon and I'm joined by Neve Chapman along with our expert guest David Ewers. So David, what role do you see engineers having in advocating for more sustainable practices and solutions to engineering problems? Uh, I would say a major role and that's because I guess you can have the ideas and you can have the, um, I guess, the visions of how to become more sustainable. But the reason that I became an engineer is we like to do things. We like to make things happen. And and that's fundamental to actually making um, permanent change. So by taking the ideas and the visions that some of those um, people have had to create the goals that we have, um, that the United Nations have come out with, Yes, they may not be uh, achievable to the full extent, but it enables us to take those goals and apply them to everyday situations, such as engineering projects that we're working on. And I think the more that we've done that, the more we've realised how diverse our ecosystem is, how uh, challenging it is to work in some of the um, ecosystems that are even in Tasmania, um, how unique they are. And so... 
solutions just can't be broad range. Oh, this apply we can apply this to a project in southern Tasmania. It'll work in northern Tasmania. No, you can't do that. And uh, you have to think through some of those um, impacts that are, are different for, for all different parts of of Tasmania and Australia. David, is this the type of thing that is like the whole engineering team for a large project like that wind farm project, the whole team are doing this front of mind? Or is this this type of thing that you as an individual are championing and leading the appraisal of the environmental impacts? Like, How much penetration has this had in the sector as a whole? Is it individual champions or is it, you know, all teams are doing it all the time and it's becoming just totally normal? It's becoming more normal. Um, I go back to the safety focus um, that a lot of construction companies have, especially Vec, Vec Civil, um, and realising that you're talking about the safety of our ecosystem, which has the same requirements to actually care for. Um, so, yes, I reckon initially um, there was only certain members that were sort of pushing that sustainability, but then it's become more norm because it's a requirement. Now, just because something is a requirement doesn't mean that everyone advocates for it. I think it's that passion, that drive from individuals that helps to grow the whole team and the understanding, you know, even within our project teams is to grow that understanding that what we're doing is benefiting not just us, but the community which we live, um, plant species, um, ecosystems, and that's really important. I think that's really awesome and I like that the breadth um, that you of the like outlook you take but what steps and like how much time does this add to a project so just for those of us that are like really removed for me that sounds like a whole like just the environmental assessment and considering how that conceptually and all those factors fit within the project needs of achieving the outcome that you want of putting a wind farm somewhere um, it looks like that would be a whole really long separate piece how do you go about integrating that um, and how much time does it take within that consultation? And just genuinely like from your personal experience, fitting all those pieces of the puzzle together, like how does that process evolve? I guess projects fit in. There's, there's, a, there's a number of steps to projects. Um, similar to coming up with an idea, um, you come up with a concept, all right, so we have a challenge. We need to get more people from one side of Tasmania to the other we need to build more bridges or whatever it is. Um, so then you develop a road system or you increase or widen a road or, or do those kind of things. And then once you've worked out this is what we need to do, okay, how do, how do we do the, I guess, the, the really detailed steps? So then you go, well, if we do that, we're going to have to clear all this land. So then in that planning stage, and that's where it's taken more, it has more, taken more time and it does take more energy, but it's worth it because it helps us to not just do what we've always done, which is, okay, clean that, um, you know, clear that land, it's okay. It's going, okay, if we clear that land, which side of the road do we go? And is there a benefit to doing that? And sometimes it is a real benefit because you have to think engineering outside the square is really important. And innovation comes from thinking like this. So sustainability, I believe, has really caused a huge um, development in innovation, in engineering, coming up with new ways of doing things, new products, reusing products that we've used before, um, has really, I think, grown over the last 10 years and I continue to grow um, as, we, as we have that as a focus uh, going forward. David, can you tell us a little bit about like how does this fit with the project planning or the permit stage and whether or not that adds more time 
or is cost effective or not, or if it's just you could go the easy way if you didn't have this whole permit stage. Well, permits has sort of allowed us to... The good thing about permits is it means you have to do a whole lot of work because a permit will have a whole lot of requirements that you have to fulfil. What it does is it makes you think through those steps that you've, like you said, you can just go and do something. Now, but that's short-term thinking, right? Yes, initially, I might save a lot of money, but in the long term, I might have just destroyed a water course, which has helped sustain a whole ecosystem, which is now impacting on a plant species, which they can't get anymore. So one decision has a whole lot of consequences, which we don't think about. But what this is making us do is go... Yes, we're building a project next year, which will take six months. But the holistic view of a project is what impact does that have in five years, 10 years, 15 years? Very different mindset, very important. So great question. How would you suggest that our listeners can get involved in sustainable engineering practice? I, th- I always take the, the position that everyone can get involved. Um, we limit ourselves because we think, well, what can I do? Um, instead, the question should be, what aren't I doing and what could I be doing? So similar to what my parents had, you know, they may not have known all the, all the, I guess, aspects of sustainability, but they were practicing it through life choices, but just an understanding that we need to respect the environment. Um, and I think all of us can do that in the way we live. Um, and I think, you know, taking care of recycling, um, looking after plant species, you know, even in our own yard, you know, black backyards, in where we walk, um, you know, noticing, you know, picking up litter. You know, some of those little things actually make a difference. And then advocating for um, social change in the way we do things. Um, if we help promote it, um, through small things, uh, makes big changes. You know, Crips doing such a little thing, but having big, you know, cardboard uh, clips for their for their bags. That's just a small change, but it's created a whole thing about well, what else? All all of our packaging kind of for, for a lot of food is plastic, which is still going to waste. Can we rethink of how we package food? Absolutely. So that, that kind of thinking is, is driving how we do things and making, I think, the younger generation who are coming through university learn some of those sustainability practices so that when they become engineers and scientists and whatever they become, that's their mindset. Awesome. I think that's a really good message for everyone to take away because no matter how little you may feel, I think we can all make big changes if we um, adopt individual and social action. Thanks for listening to That's What I Call Science. We love bringing you science, or in this case, engineering content, and hope you enjoyed the show. If you did love the show, please remember you can find all of our previous episodes wherever you like to get your Uh, podcast content or you can go to thatscience.org. Until next time I'd like to say thanks from me, Neve Chapman I'd love to give a big thank you to my co-host Dr Sarah Lydon and to our expert guest David Ewers. Thanks and goodbye. This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au You've been listening to That's What I Call Science brought to your station and across the nation via the Community Radio Network. You can find That's What I Call Science on all major podcast streaming services and social media platforms. Like and subscribe for on-demand science updates from the team. That's What I Call Science is proudly recorded in Tasmania at Edge Radio. Head to edgeradio.org.au for more information on how you can support community radio. 
GemMaker are a proud sponsor of That's What I Call Science. GemMaker provide expert advice, services and training to commercialise new knowledge and technologies. Go to gemmaker.com.au for more information.